0: real addicts
1: yeah all right welcome to the real addicts podcast a podcast about my oldest and longest running addiction and yours too, film i'm matt flynn my co-host jonathan d'ambrosio jonathan
0: Hello, everyone. Excited to be here. Can't think of a better co-host to have this podcast with. So this is a
1: podcast. We're going to be focused mainly on individual films. That's going to be what we're looking at, is individual films. Each week, we will do a deep dive into a film one of us, both of us, maybe even neither of us loves. We will talk about it. And at the end, we're going to tease what we're doing the following week. That way, you at home can hang out, watch a film, and then jump in with us. So... That's the nature of it. And we figured we'd kick things off in our inaugural episode with a top five films of 2023. So what did you think in general, sweeping view of 2023 film?
0: Well, so first of all, I just want to say that I think this is a perfect way for us to start because you and I do have very different tastes in film. And this is a perfect opportunity for everyone to distinguish those two, (laughs) because I can't imagine any of our films will overlap, but I'll be very surprised if they do. I'd say it was a good year. It wasn't a bad year. The one thing I really enjoyed about it, and I get into this a little bit in my list, is that I felt like there were a lot of films that reminded me, and I'm grateful for this, reminded me of why I fell in love with film and, like, and reminded me of the feelings I felt when I started to love, feel, fall in love with films.
1: I had a tough time with this year personally because I found what you just described to be 2022. But forcing my hand to really dig and find my top five of this year, I realized that beneath the surface, there was a lot of stuff here that was pretty rich for me to mine. It might not have been my cup of tea go-to year for film, but the stuff I found my top five, I'm into.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a mixed bag. It's always a mixed bag. There are those odd years where things are, you just get a stellar year like we've discussed 1999 (laughs) again and again, where it just seemed like one after another film was really good. And then there are just crapshoot years. What was your process
1: for this? What did you do to kind of suss this out? Were there films that you just said, I know I won't enjoy that, so I won't watch it?
0: So there were films that I just could not get an opportunity to watch. So there are definitely some films that I wish that I had gotten the chance to watch. So I feel like I've been irresponsible in a way because there will probably be two films that would have been on this list if I got a chance to see them. And then I just... Went with the films that I saw that, I re- that really resonated with me and stuck with me and that I enjoyed on both an artistic and personal and entertainment level. What
1: do you want to do? Do you want to start or do you want me to start? We're going to start with five. We're going to go to one. The rules are if one of our films is higher up on the other's list, we just call it out immediately. We're not playing any games. Oh, we can't talk about it right now until it's tight. No, We're not doing that. We're going to talk about it at once and we're going to tag team it. If you've seen a film, great, we'll talk about it. If not, it's going to turn into a sales pitch and we'll we'll question together. We're going to ask some hard-hitting questions to just find out why it made the top five. So do you want the the first pick or?
0: I'll I'll go with the first pick because I would love to, I just want to, I mean, listen, I love taking the lead. Um, And I want to save your number one just so I can have some initial shock for the last because I'm sure that that will be in store for us. So my number five which again going back to the fact that it was a year that reminded me of why i fell in love with film initially my number 5 is dungeons and dragons honor among thieves yes yes well first of all i want to state i've never played a game of dungeons and dragons my my the extent of my knowledge of dungeons and dragons starts and ends with The community episode where they played Dungeons and Dragons, which I've seen in full disclosure, maybe 30 times. And that's all I know about (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons.
1: (laughs) I've never played it either. And my knowledge of it is uh, probably confined to the fan base I grew up with of kind of subculture that I knew kids would go to Chris's Comics in downtown Marshfield and play. But I didn't know what it was or what it meant. And the only thing on top of that that I'm aware of is really what we've learned from Stranger Things.
0: See, like that's basically, I've learned it all vicariously through other pieces of pop culture. Yeah. So I think adaptations are hard, and adapting something like a game or a piece of IP like Dungeons and Dragons is particularly difficult. I mean, I guess you could argue that there's some uh, some freedom to it because you're not locked into a specific story. And there's a lot of stories to draw on because people have so many experiences, of Dungeons and Dragons, but like, it's a game, how do you turn it into a compelling piece of of film? And I was really just blown away by first of all, I went in with low expectations, I was expecting it to suck. And then I was just blown away by just the energy of the film. Like it's just made by filmmakers who obviously love the source material. They obviously are head over heels and love with Dungeons and Dragons and play it, but knew exactly how to adapt it into cinema or adapt it for cinema. And they just, their, their sense of fun is so, it's so obvious that you're just having fun watching them do it. And the film is so clever and they just pull out a lot of really cool and smart and clever gimmicks that. I appreciate it as a a viewer, as a writer, as a filmmaker. And and I just found myself smirking throughout the entire film because I was like, they really knew how to go about this. And the cast is great. um, Lots of fun. And they really live in those characters. And it's both, it's ridiculously laughable, but there's also tragic parts to it and lots of heart. And I was just really surprised by that and blindsided. I really hope there's a sequel because I think they gave themselves so much room to surpass the original with what they did because just Dungeons and Dragons, you're expecting dragons to show up at any moment. So I spent the entire film just like waiting for like the dragons to appear. And the filmmakers knew that and they played their hand beautifully because when and if or when dragons show up, they just just do it in such a smart way and in a way that you would never expect and it's just like just one more piece of charming uh one more charming element about the film.
1: I watched this because I had a feeling. I'll throw it out there. You did not disappoint. And I thoroughly enjoyed this. It reminded me of and this you may find this insulting, but I thought wow, this is kind of modern day fun fantasy Robin Hood prince of thieves in a really fun way. If you know, Chris Pine knew enough not to pull a Kevin Costner and just kind of <laughs> go in and out of an accent and be relatively flat and charming, but not really funny. Chris Pine's hilarious in this. Yeah. He- he, it's so well cast. And he does just enough to not be Kirk. That's a difficult dance to pull because it's in essence the same type of character, the same archetype fully. You are the guy who's smart-ass. I think J.J. Abrams made in the Star Trek, and I'm not a huge Star Trek guy, but again, this is very similar to that in that it was so good, it drew me in to watch it. They made him more of a wise-ass renegade. Yeah. So you do have these similar characters where they're wise-ass renegades. But there's enough differentiation between the two that I really appreciated it.
0: Definitely. I, I, and it's just, I would have never, you know, they've made, I don't even know how many Dungeons and Dragons movies they've made. I feel like they've made at least two before that have been just like flops or not done anything well at all. So it was just nice to see someone who was like really just swinging for the fences with the material. Some of the gimmicks, like the whole wand thing where people can, like how many times they like bring that back into the story so they can transport themselves to like other locations. And the hither and thither, baby. Yeah, the hither and thither. Yeah. And, then, um, and there are also one thing I don't want to ruin because if anybody hasn't seen it, of the eight people that listen to this, if none of you have seen it, <laughs> it has probably, in my opinion, one of the best and definitely the most unexpected cameos from out of nowhere.
1: I was just very impressed with this all around,
0: and the dragon part, like the dragon part, was just genius.
1: Yeah, and the head. whole the the capture, like the uh, the game that they're running through. Yeah, good pick, man. Good yeah. pick for five. I'm glad I watched it. There were a couple others that I was like, I think this is going to be on his top five. One I didn't even try. The other I tried and just couldn't. And can't if wait.
0: they're there, we'll we'll get to that. I can't wait to hear what they are. <laughs>
1: Number five, my number five favorite film of 2023, and I hope and pray you've seen this, but something tells me you haven't, is a little film called Sisu. I have not seen it. Oh, man. Sisu is spectacular. This is the most straight line action fun you're going to have. It's An English language film, but it's a Finnish film and it's directed by Yelmari. I think it's Yelmari Halander. He did Rare Exports, which is a bizarre 2010 Christmas horror film set in Finland. So, this movie, Sisu, is basically if Quentin Tarantino had been born in Finland, decided he hated dialogue. And was asked to do a Rambo remake. The beginning of this, and it's so Tarantino-influenced, it's out of control. Pulp fiction, at the very beginning, you get a definition of pulp, right? and fiction, they, boom. Sisu comes up on the screen. What's it mean? It's a Finnish word that cannot be translated. It means a white-knuckled form of courage and unimaginable determination. Bam. So we're there. It's chapterized, much like a pulp or a kill bill or any of these things. And like I said, it's very straight line. We're in World War II. I think it's 1944. The war is ending, and the Nazis have a scorched earth approach towards Finland. And the main character is this guy, the actor's name is Jorma Tomilia. And we don't hear any dialogue in this film for ages. We get a little bit of that that voiceover narration to intro it, but outside of that, you're just in this world, and there's a lot of that like deep, guttural like, oh... like haunting kind of tribal sounds, and he's just this badass. You know it by the look of him. He's dirty. He's a gold miner, and right off the rip, he's panning for gold, he's digging, and he hits pay dirt big time. So now he's got all this gold and he's on his horse and he's riding and he crosses paths with some Nazis and shit gets wild from there, man
0: you had me I, like just the idea of quentin tarantino making something about like a gold miner during the gold rush like i'm in like
1: yeah, for sure it's a it's a western a finnish western that's a revenge tale where again to tarantino's love from inglorious bastards it's all about killing nazis yeah and, and it's it's just fun the kill scenes the first kill in this movie you're just like, cancel my plans for the next 90 minutes. It's quick. It's it's under two hours. It might nice. even be a little under 90 minutes. It's a fantastic film, and you're going to have a good time if that's your bag. If you're into things like that, don't miss this. I think right now it's streaming on Stars. I kind of want to throw that out there, too. d d is on Amazon, right?
0: I think it's on Amazon and Paramount.
1: Okay. Yeah, I don't think I had to pay for that one. So that's streaming there. And Sisu, you can find on Stars, where I think probably you can rent independently on Amazon, but well worth it.
0: I'm also glad that they are making movies that are 90 minutes because every other movie is two hours <laughs> plus, at least, which I don't understand why. Like, we stopped making movies that were sub two hours.
1: The ending of this movie, like the last frame, It's just, it pays off so well. It's so much fun.
0: All right. I can't wait to see it. I'm very excited about this. I'm excited just for the fact that it's 90 minutes. So like, you've already got me there. I'll I'll already give it four stars. Check it out. All right. Moving on. Number four for me. I can't wait to see. Oh, no. I can't wait to see your reaction to this. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Which, please, I, I would love for your... I oh, you want be- me to take the floor on this? No, no, no. I just, if you have an initial reaction, I want you to be able to, to, to voice it.
1: This was a fastball down the center of the plate. I saw this coming a mile and a half away. And I said, am I really going to spend five hours watching animated Spider-Man movies just to be able to talk about this? And I said, no, I'm not. So I'm going to just watch the second one. So I have a reference point. I I, I did 10 minutes. And, I, and it's not that it was bad. It is not bad. For the people this is for, it seems spectacular. I, I have a tough time with the style of animation. It grates on me after a while, and it's a lot. And that open that I think was just kind of a catch-up, I was like, I can't do it. And so I didn't. But I'm very happy that you're happy. And I'm sure there are many people out there that want to hear about this.
0: No, I love the film. I, I enjoyed the first one. I had a lot of fun uh, with the first one. The first one kind of has a nostalgic place uh, with me because it was the last film that I, I saw in theaters with my mother. And we had a blast watching it. And then the second one, it's a su- like, again, just lots of fun energy. The animation is out of this world. Like, I don't know. I was watching it and there are parts where – They shift color palettes in the middle of a scene and just change like the entire aura of a room while characters are speaking. And it works on such an emotionally resonant level. Listen, I'm a very visual person. I'm a filmmaker. But when it comes to things like that and the subtlety of it and to be able to execute it in such a precise way and make it work is just beyond me. So like that part alone, just the animation really blew me away. Love the music. I feel like they just kept it moving. And this is this is an opportunity for me to kinda, <laughs> kind of talk about a film I didn't like while referencing a film I did like. I felt like it was a perfect antithesis to Oppenheimer because Oppenheimer has like 95 characters in it. I could not tell you one from another. There are a few characters that are, I'm sure certain they have identical twins playing them in Oppenheimer. And I could not keep track of what was going on. Um, and then in... Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, you have a whole smorgasbord of characters. They're all distinct. They all have their own stories. They all have their own personalities. You remember them when they show up, even if they show up for a second. And that part, I really, really appreciate and especially the complexity of the storytelling. And I think this is one of those cases where the last time I can think that something like this happened was probably everything everywhere all at once, where you're just telling these really absurd, complicated multiverse stories, that somehow makes sense while you're just throwing everything and the kitchen sink out the window and and just like having it work because I feel like there's so many films that deal with multiverse stuff these days. It's a theme that we're killing to death. And a lot of them are just like unintelligible and incomprehensible. So I really just appreciated that. I also really appreciated the fact that it is a true sequel and the fact that it is a continuation of the story in the first one not the, a rehash of it it's like it's a continuation of the events in it the consequences of the events of it and where do the stories go from there all right where do the characters go from there and that's exactly what a sequel should be
1: i will say for sure the complexity of this broke my brain and it's that's really why i stopped it because i'm like i can't watch this without watching the first one and i don't have time to like i say do five hours of this it's not that I'm against it. It's not my cup of tea, but I really appreciate the world building that goes on in this stuff. And something that Marvel has done, to your point about multiverses and everything, it is really played into the hands of high-functioning kids that need extreme stimulation. So it's it's an intelligent thing. It's really, you have to turn your thinking cap on and really strap in for these movies. Personally, again, this is just all a matter of taste. I can't echo this enough. If you've made a film, as you and I had, I respect you and I respect what you made. Even if I don't appreciate the content as far as my taste goes, I respect that. This just isn't my taste because if I'm getting into superheroes, I crave darkness. If it's not Batman, I need Watchmen. If it's not Watchmen, I'm not interested. It really kind of boils down to those two for me. And I, I think um on top of that, the multiverse stuff, I need cynic the cynicism of early seasons of Rick and Morty. Like I'm in to keep it going like that if we're gonna show how insane the world and life truly is. And
0: you needed pickle
1: wreck is what you needed. I I, I do. And and Spider Man to its credit and to my distaste is more heart than cynicism.
0: I'll give you that. I think so. It's funny because I think Marvel has really just lost their goddamn minds. If I'm really just being, like, <laughs> I, like I, it I happened like, a while ago, but like I loved phase one of Marvel up until Endgame, And like, I don't know what is going on. I don't know what they're trying to do. It's just like, like it, it seems like they're just making movies without scripts and trying to edit them together somehow.
1: Like I said, I want to be dropped in on two hours and then thrown away to deal with what I just experienced. And if it's a trilogy, it's a trilogy. If it's 17 movies and then 44 spin off character films, like sayonara, I'm good. That's just not for me.
0: Yeah. And I feel like we've just probably alienated half of our audience, so we're down from eight to four <laughs> at this
1: point. That's okay. Hey, you Listen, know what? You did a really smart thing there where you put D&D first, and now we got all the D&D people like, all right, maybe we'll get these guys at like a Magic the Gathering conference, or maybe those are like New Zealand and Australian, and I've just alienated even more people by referencing Magic. But we're open.
0: We're open, but petty. Yeah. <laughs> <We laughs> like to bu- else. We like to build our high horses very close to the ground. <laughs>
1: that's a good segue into my number four if you're ready for it i'm right my number my number four film uh, uh it could have gone in a lot of places on this list it's fantastic and deserves best director consideration across the board it's a film from director justine triet called anatomy of a fall
0: i'm I'm really glad that you put this here because it's my number three so we can go right into the number threes for
1: this look at this so oh this is great news I'm so glad you love this the movie opens with the line sorry somebody else says it's okay and then the question asks what do you want to know and this is over black you know it's a a black screen open and then we've got a tennis ball bouncing down the stairs once we we jump into wherever we're at and a dog following it in this little chalet kind of cabin-y sort of space we notice off the rip that there's a woman being interviewed By another woman and there's a little bit of tension in the air not a ton uh we find out very quickly that the woman being interviewed is a writer and that we're in her home and suddenly a steel drum instrumental version of 50 cents pimp is blared through the air from upstairs and it's revealed that it's her husband doing some work but it's offensively loud The women continue to talk and they laugh because it's an uncomfortable situation. And as they're laughing, and the lead, Sandra, is now interviewing the interviewer just out of a little bit of tension and uncomfortability trying to make things okay. When they giggle throughout this, the music gets taken to another level and it's on loop. And it's one of the most uncomfortable things I've experienced in a film that isn't about something harrowing. Especially out of the gate, this is a long movie. This is we're we're in for a two and a half hour ride, and believe me, it's a dry two and a half. But it's a really loaded, full, amazing two and a half hours of the complexities of life shown through the simplest of lenses. Spoilers are going to happen here. I think they should. I'm so glad this is three because we can spend a little bit more time on it. But ultimately, what happens is the little boy. We find out that there's a visually impaired child between these two. The interviewer leaves. The little boy takes the dog who chased the bouncing ball down the stairs for a walk in the snow. We're in France. This is a French film. And when he returns, this is a spoiler, but it's right off the rip. And it's a very early on inciting incident. So I'm okay talking about it. Dad's dead on the ground. He's in the snow at the foot of the house which is has a very high crest he'd been working in the attic and he's dead on the ground in a pool of blood and that's the fall and we're really having an anatomy of this fall there's a there's an inquest there's there's um uh we we ultimately we start there like up to that point tell me what you were thinking and tell me how rich you felt this was
0: so it's funny because I, I just To cover that point, when the credits started rolling, I didn't know that it was two and a half hours. Like I I literally I'm shocked that it is because I feel like it flew by because you're constantly on the edge of your seat. There's you're constantly asking yourself questions. There's something else being introduced that changes the, the dynamics of the story. But when the credits started rolling, I honestly was like, oh, I bet that was an amazing book that they adapted. And then I found out that it was not because it is a very rich story and it feels very real. Like you feel like you're a part of somebody's lives. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away by that by that alone, just because it seems like such a robust thing that I'm shocked it wasn't based on a book.
1: Yeah, this was a brilliantly written thing. And I believe Justine Trier wrote it as well. Yep, I'm with- so excited to see what she does next, uh, because I haven't seen any of her previous work. She's made a few films, but the, from the critical reception, it seems like it's all kind of built towards this crescendo of her career. And I think moving forward, she's going to be a powerhouse.
0: Hopefully. I don't know if you know I don't know if you know any of the the outside of baseball stuff going on.
1: Tell me she's not doing the next Marvel movie already.
0: She's not doing the next okay, Marvel okay. movie. So uh, she was the third. Uh, this was the third film directed by a woman to win the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. The other two were Tatane and then The Piano by uh, Jane wow. Campion. And so it's it's like, it's. I feel like there was probably a 20-year gap between, at least a 20-year gap between Jane Campion and then Tatane. And now it's been a couple of years since Tatane came out. So... But when, she, when Justine accepted, Trier accepted the award, she said some things that were critical of the French government and shared some thoughts on some things. The French government did not like it. And when it came time for Oscar consideration and submissions from France, it was not the film that they sent to be submitted as Best International Feature. They sent another film, which was The Taste of Things. They sent another. So wait. Oscar consideration. Who sent this? Who? I think there's a actual like panel of like, in, like of, I think it's a, somebody on like uh, the arts council of France or the arts council of whatever country that determines like what they're going to submit on behalf of their country.
1: That's insane. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I, if, if Oscar, if the Academy Awards had any balls at all, they would say, you know what? You got it, France. You, if that's what you want your country to rip, be represented by we're going to do it. We should have done anyway and nominate this for best picture because it should be, it's, it's nothing to do with a foreign film. This is a best picture of the year contender.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's French, but like, there's a lot of, I I think like 50% of the dialogues in English. It is, it
1: bounces back and forth. This is going to be a a great thing to watch. If um, I, I know a lot of people, specifically women that I've been friends with through over the years, it's been a very big cultural norm now to just watch even English speaking things with subtitles. So if that drives you crazy folks, but you you're with somebody that needs it, this is going to be a nice happy medium because we go back and forth between French and English. So often it is a good thing to have the subtitles on for.
0: Yeah. And there's just, there's just a lot to it. I, I, Again, like reminding me of things that I love about movies last year. This was definitely one of those movies. And I I remember feeling while watching it, I just needed to get to the end to find out like how it was going to end and what the resolution was going to be. And if it because I could not see any way out of it that would Mm. satisfy me. And so I was just like, I need to know, like, what what's how is this going to play out? But at the same time, I did not want to get to the end because I didn't want to know the truth about things or find out where characters were going to end up or any of that stuff. So there was this like internal argument that I was having where I was like, oh, like, I don't want to finish this film, but I need to. And that was such a compelling thing to feel. And not many films get you to feel that way. No,
1: they don't. And it's interesting that I had the same reactions and yet a very different experience with the length of the film you it flew by for you i felt like i was there for four four hours and ten minutes yeah. and not in a bad way it's just i'm so rigid and uncomfortable with this The one of my favorite things if not my favorite about foreign film specifically european almost across the board is that they'll set up a wide shot they will give you no music to manipulate you or to ease you into things or to help you along the journey and you just have to sit in it and to have something like this where it's revealed throughout everything that happens ultimately she's charged right so now she's on trial she says at one point to her lawyer very early on before the indictment comes down for her she's realizing what he's asking and she just stops him says stop stop i didn't kill him and the lawyer says that's not the point the dialogue is so well written and such a critical attack not just on the french government But the legal system for all countries, I found very similar complexities and problems between their legal system and ours. Yeah. And I also found a lot of differences that I'm like, my God, this is how they do things over there. Interesting. But this should be critiqued. These are things that the very nature of the government being critiqued and its response being what it was is an indication that the government needs to be critiqued. It's this strange kind of feedback loop, which makes her right and makes this film that much more powerful.
0: Yeah. And I I do think I agree with you. I think it's a film that everybody should watch. And I think it's a very important film, especially right now in this, in this time of the world. And it's funny because while I was just kind of considering my thoughts on it, I, I, one of the things I was like, it, I learned a lot about myself while watching that movie. Like it just mm-hmm. it brought uh, to my attention a lot of my biases and assumptions and where like where I automatically go and assume and that's a really uncomfortable place to live especially when you you don't have the facts and I think we live in such a time when people are just exaggerating or you know, speculating and twisting facts and details and, like, offering different perspectives that it's just chaos at some point and incomprehensible, and you forget that there are lives at the center of it. And to to see this character that seems like a very real person, Sandra Hewler plays her beautifully. Like, it's just, like, a very... Like there's so many complexities and she's a flawed character but you're not sure if you believe her don't believe her and again the lawyer says she doesn't it doesn't matter but it's just yeah there's just a lot of things that are brought into question and i think that it would be really important for people to kind of recognize that
1: yeah i agree i I found a lot of self-reflection not just about me but about the world through this film and it's it's really fascinating what they do with this she is a wildly flawed character she is very unlikable but she's not hateable and she is relatable and a thing that they do that i think is so beautiful is they set this relationship up where she's german he's french they met in london and they are now back in his hometown and I think another thing that most American films don't have the balls to do as outright as Justine Trier did with this is play into stereotypes. Stereotypes are there for a reason. And they're not always pretty and they're not always accurate. A lot of them, some can be done as forms of propaganda over time. But she made the Frenchman very da- very hard on himself, very emotionally, just kind of raw, passionate frustrated i've known a lot of people in my travels and just personally from france that have that and she made the german woman sandra huler is it huler or holler either way she that's a career performance it's phenomenal but she made her very germanic she's practical It seems cold and icy and very to the point. And she played into these things and made these people from these particular cultures and then sandwiched them together. And this was the result.
0: It's interesting because there's a a part where they flash back to a conversation between the husband and wife. And that's when you absolutely that dynamic. and her Like, I've never seen a more actually previously, probably a marriage. Is it a marriage story with um...
1: marriage story? Adam, Scarlett Driver Johansson, and, Adam Driver, yeah. like
0: that, that argument that they have was one of the most realistic things I've ever seen on film and a portrayal of it. But this is, I think, even more than that, just because there are so many nuances and there's yeah, like there's new, like it's not them going in one direction. They are going in a bunch of different directions and pulling and you're just not sure where emotionally they're going. Like she seems very calm. And then like he says things that are just completely it's very, very uncomfortable.
1: It is. And it's the I've never seen anything like it. And I've yeah. seen a lot of films and it blew me away. Yeah. I've seen everything on my list twice and the second time was even more affecting for each of them. Yeah. And this was just kind of wow, that particular scene in general, it blew me away. And yeah. the rest of the music that they use is very, um, Piano based, if at all. And it's usually the son playing, the yeah. son who has this visual impairment. He he's playing at the piano. And he's pretty masterful at it. He's he's flawed. And I think again, this is all intentional. It's all so layered. Yeah. You're just you're seeing what's there. Nothing's written on the nose, N- nothing is just force fed. But when you have these discussions, you really figure out how rich this film is. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. There were two comments you made in the beginning that i wanted to go back to one of them was you talked about the opening shot with the ball going down the stairs which just as a uh admiration for foreign film where we like lose it and i feel like american filmmakers don't go to this level of detail is they did so many different takes of that ball going down the stairs just because she wanted it to be just right and fall in just the right way and like I- again it being anatomy of a fall and you had called out like this is that fall but i also afterwards thought about oh i also feel like it's a different kind of fall metaphorically for the main character's just arc and like just her public perception and and uh reputation like i feel like it's a commentary on the cancel culture
1: it's a commentary on all cultures right now everything across the board that's there for sure and I have my own issues with cancel culture. And she really points in, in a way that makes me feel like they're justified.
0: There's that. And I don't think this is spoiling anything. There's a part of the trial where we're, like discussion notes with his with the victim's therapist come into play and like how he is talked about or how he talks about his wife. And. It's she, she even makes a comment where she's like, you know, that's if you if you brought my therapist in here to have that conversation, like, of course, I think that's a safe space where I can say like these things. But that's not the whole story. That's just like what I say when I'm angry. And it's so interesting that we live in a world of sound bites and little clips of things. And those are the things that we base our entire opinions on. And I feared the day that anything in my life is like taken out of context and put onto a public platform because like that is, that is terrifying because I think the truth is so much more interesting and complex than that.
1: I agree. I fully agree with that. And oh my God, that scene is just so, so her Germanic character being very cold, so to speak, if we're using that adjective and I am, it makes her unlikable in certain regards, as a romantic partner, but it's so advantageous when she's on the stand because she's able to keep a cool, calm, and collected head when I honestly can't think of a more savage depiction, inaccurate depiction, portrayal of a, for lack of a better term, prosecutor. Right. It's so frustrating. And I've been on juries and I've seen some really interesting stuff where they just go for attacks. And in film, obviously, we see depictions of this all the time. This is unlike anything else I've ever seen as well. And she's able to maintain a cool head. And you believe it because the character is so rich.
0: Yeah, the char- the, the prosecutor you're talking about is like a, re- like he is a snake. Like he's just oh. like, I, I've i not disliked the character that much in a very long time.
1: It's not about justice. It's not about thinking or it's about which side are you on. He is out to prove she did this and yeah. everything he, he says is slanted towards or manipulating his side of things and they're out to prove she didn't and it's it's so fascinating and I, I don't know a better way. I think I think a really cool thing this movie does is let us know too that like what is the alternative? We yeah. don't know. We don't know.
0: We, we don't. And the, and like, it's so funny because I think everyone believes that there's only one truth in the world, but the, the, the actual reality of it is there are multiple truths and they can all be true at the same time. And that's a very difficult, it's a very difficult pill to swallow for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, the, and the thing, I think the thing that bothered me about that character, I feel like we're dwelling on this one, but it's definitely what we're talking about, is that the hypocrisy of there are so many times when he goes out of his way to just... Paint a picture with his opinion, and like just paint the facts in a certain light. And when there is a a, a witness that is sharing their opinion, he just like go like attacks them. And he's like, well, that's just your opinion. Like you, that's just the, the that's not true. That's just yeah. And I'm just like, oh my god, that's what you've been doing the entire time. <laughs>
1: And that's how they win, because the goal is to win. It's not to be right. It goes back to that quote where she says, I didn't kill him. And he says, well, that's not the point. That's the indictment on this whole system. It's not the point. The point is winning. And when someone's life is in the balance, injustice is at play. It's, it's so complicated. And yeah, just to close it out, it, it's not an easy watch, folks, but it's a worthy one. And I, I think there's a case for this to be anywhere on this list, including number one fantastic film and I'm so stoked not only you saw it, but that it was three for you
0: yeah so we can move right along into your number three right now
1: <laughs> we can and I would like to say it's going to get a lot easier and things will be much easier to discuss and talk about turns out it's not number three on my top five of 2023 Yorgos Lanthimos's Four Things starring Emma Stone and Holy Mackerel did you get a chance to see this?
0: I did not. That is one of the films that no! I did. Not. You told me you were going to see it I know, yesterday. I know. I know. I, know, oh. I, know like, I, I did not get the opportunity. Oh, my God. Okay. And it's, Sorry, it, like, I, Listen, I, the, no one is more regretful and, and, and resentful of this than I am.
1: <laughs> I actually went for round two yesterday. There is so much to say about this film. Previously, he's made some strange stuff. I've only seen The Lobster. I've heard a great deal about Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, So you kind of knew what you were getting into, that it was going to be offbeat, certainly the trailer. or tens an odd experience. But what we're dealing with basically is uh, a Frankenstein story. This was a novel, and the novel was set in late 19th century Scotland. One of the charms of this film is that I don't know where I am, I don't know when I am, but I'm pretty sure where and when I am is in a dimension that doesn't quite exist because you are in this very uh it's not Elizabethan it's it's I don't know you're in the you're you're in this time period of course it's and dresses and top hats and very proper kind of um u k living but the the sky is just a vanilla sky. And there are these bizarre kind of floating devices everywhere. It's very strange. And at the center of it is Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, the great, amazing, never disappoints Willem Dafoe, is um, a man of science. He has a laboratory, or a surgery as he calls it, in his home. And the opening scene in this film is underscored by... It's not the the composer who did Under the Skin, but it sounds very much like a very haunting, under-the-skin score. And you have this vibrant, colored, well-dressed and coiffed, stoic Emma Stone just slowly falling off of a bridge into water. It's just this really jarring opening scene. And the next thing you know, we're in black and white. And Emma Stone, slow pan over in her back... She's at a piano and she's hitting it with her hands and her feet. And you see something's wrong. Like she's, she's, she's literally not there. Like It's as though she is wildly developmentally challenged. And we learn slowly that Willem Dafoe's character, this is, this is a spoiler, but it's not, it's what we get into. He has been raising her. I won't say how or why I won't give the circumstances. But he has been raising her. And what we embark on is a hero's journey, the likes of which I've never seen. Good, bad, or indifferent. This is Big Fish, Benjamin Button. This is that kind of interesting, wild trip through a woman, specifically a woman's growth from mental infancy through adolescence into adulthood. And the people she meets along the way, the sexualization in this movie, just off the rip. You can't, I, I can't believe I've gone this far into it without mentioning it because it's really what all people will see. A lot of people with trauma issues, and this is a trigger warning film. I've had lengthy conversations with people, specifically a close friend yesterday who was set off very understandably by a lot of the imagery and a lot of the themes in this film. But we talked through it and she ended up seeing more of what I saw. And this is the beauty of art. This is why this leapfrogged anatomy of a fall for me is because what you have in anatomy of a fall is just so much that's given to you that makes you think it's just they're presenting cold, hard facts, so to speak, right? It's interpretive. This is such an ethereal kind of experience that just immerses your body and makes you think Like, what are we as as a species like what are we and sexualization is so important it's so critical through all that and watching someone's sexual development and watching other characters have their purpose in life be predicated on the sexualization or their own appeal and monetized sex everything is just sex related (laughs) until it isn't and that's an amazingly beautiful There are characters representative of that there's experiences that kind of happen throughout i don't want to spoil this i'm speaking in broad strokes and i realized i did this project when i was growing up on the simpsons in high school in my psychology class uh it was on the nine enneagram types and i assigned every uh simpsons characters to each enneagram and i loved it it was the thing i was most proud of in high school i loved it i loved the simpsons this was great I realized when I was thinking about this, that there's a lot. Each of these characters really represents an ideology. And then I realized, wait a minute, there's kind of an Enneagram thing happening here. And then I counted them out and there were nine major players. And then I went through the Enneagram types and I was like, son of a bitch. I think these are all representations of the different Enneagram types. And it's really beautiful. I think I think we need to have you watch this honestly and do a full episode. It's worthy of that. Um it just asks what love is. It asks what God is. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. There's some wild quotes. There's some very um bizarre funny moments. There are some true funny moments watching it with the crowd. There are moments that shouldn't be funny that people are laughing at. but again, we're we're having our own experiences here. so you kind of have to chew on that. But I, I truly believe this is a movie that, like, Barbie was the safe version of this. And I'm so glad Barbie exists. It's so empowering. And it, it, I think that, that did the most that um, a movie with the limitations of a metallic character, but toy, a doll, could have. It's some really beautiful stuff in there. This goes to such a deeper, darker, sinister, but more truthful to the world journey for a woman. I'm super glad to have seen it. I'll see it again for sure.
0: I I love him as a filmmaker. I mean, if there's anyone that's truly an auteur, like in this day and age, he is certainly one of them. The lobster came out of nowhere for me. The favorite was <laughs> yeah. all, like the favorite. Oh, the favorite!
1: Yeah, I never saw it.
0: Oh man, Olivia Colman. The favorite is like the the performances. Yeah, it's just really. There's one scene that you and I will be quoting for the rest of our lives after you see that movie. But yeah, and it also seems, I've not seen it yet, I'm excited to, but it almost seems like there's a Terry gilliam esqueness to it when I was seeing the previews.
1: Very much so, yeah. Yeah, it's different. It's different than a Gilliam, but there is a lot of that, for sure.
0: Yeah, like a strange, otherworldly, like, uh, what is it, Uh, Baron? Brazil? Well, I was going to think of, what's the one with um, Robin? Baron Munchausen? Baron Munchausen. Kind of that sort of uh, operatic, like otherworldliness, yeah. you know, like practical effects and things. No, I'm excited. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's me. That's me at three, baby. What you okay. got at two?
0: Number two is... So I struggled with my number one and number two a lot. They, they. I think I switched them a bunch of times, and I finally came down to, to where I am, and I had uh, an eternal battle with myself. But number two is probably one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen in my life and it is i, I need i'm going to watch it many times over but it is past lives it is such an understated beautiful film about two people just just to give you the background of the plot two kids in korea are friends when they're younger she immigrates to the united states they do not talk to each other for years he finds her on facebook like 12 years mm-hmm. later and it's just like how their lives play out it reminded me very much of the before series without in any way being derivative of it just a truly beautiful film and the thing that really amazes me i mean the the photography the editing the music it's all very it's just a really beautiful film and it captures that sense of missed opportunities and long lost loves in a way that no other film or that i've seen has captured and it does it with so much silence i don't know how they did it because so many of the scenes are just characters standing awkwardly awkwardly with each other not knowing what to say or not saying anything at all and it's just so beautiful and so human
1: yeah it really is this is a a special movie i think what i found most appealing about it is having grown up in a culture of disney and happily ever after, and and over overly romantic stuff. That's like this is how it should be. This is what love looks like. This is what it all is about. This is a movie that really shows you what real life is when it comes to love. Yeah. It's it, it's kind of the antidote to the Disney stuff we grew up on, where it, it doesn't have to always work out in this beautiful fairy tale way to be moving to be beautiful, like sometimes letting go of something, an idea that you had is just as beautiful, if not more than attaining it. And it can set you free. Like it's, there's a freedom to it. I didn't leave this movie feeling sad. Agreed. I, I, I felt motivated to just kind of accept circumstances. It's It's a very spiritual film as far as love and the understanding of what it means to uh, get what you want romantically, quote unquote, or not.
0: There are many times where I just felt like I was eavesdropping on the lives of three people that I had no business eavesdropping with because they just are very fully fleshed out characters having very There's one scene where we come into a bedroom with one character wrapped around like a man wrapped around a woman in the most like awkward, clumsy way, like he's like a monkey wrapped around a tree, (laughs) like in bed. And um, it's just such a candid moment that I could see being in a real relationship, but you never see in film. And it's moments like that that really bring it to life.
1: There were a couple movies this year I watched. That was probably number one that I, I texted court court Dunn, good friend of ours. And I just said, I, I think I just saw the most court Dunn film court Dunn's never directed. And it was interesting. Cause he's like, you know, he had his, his thoughts on it. And I'm like, this is, this is your, your wheelhouse, man. And I thought about you too, anything and anatomy of a fall, because you're so in your writing, which, you know, I love, you're so predicated on looking at the underbelly and the difficult parts of relationships. Yeah, and that's what's interesting for me as an actor. That's what's interesting for me as a writer. Um, I really appreciate that as well. So,
0: yeah. I, well, first of all, I appreciate that in any way being associated with this film. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm I'm curious as an actor. Like, what were your thoughts on that? The performances. It reminded me of like a Wong Kar Wai film in some ways, where like in the mood for love, where. They're just standing, facing each other, sitting with each other. And it feels so like you could just feel the energy in a room. And I just don't know how you do that as an actor. Like, I don't know how you can s- just say that without dialogue or portray it. Like, it feels like the internal life of those characters is really palpable on the screen. I think we all
1: have those people. We all have them. I have one named Aaron Fowler. Erin Fowler is awesome. She's great. I reached out to her on Facebook for 5 years, 10 years, maybe more ago and just said, "Hey, I don't know if you remember me. You moved away in 5th grade, but up until that point, you were the smartest girl in our class and I was pretty smart and always trying to chase you and was really competitive and it was because I was pretty crazy about you and like it was this it was that if they they never re- it was kind of this, right? It was this. And she wrote back, she's married with kids and a family and doing well by all accounts. It seems great. And she just, it meant so much to her. We had this great back and forth and that's what it was, you know? And and if I were asked to play this, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm standing there and I'm looking at Aaron Fowler and I'm having an emotional reaction to something, to someone else that I was deeply in love with, maybe in college. And you really just, you're there in it, in a private moment of what, the characters going through personally means to you and i could see them doing it they executed it so well I, i just loved it i loved watching these people work together i loved again we're kind of back to the different cultures i think that might be a theme through a lot of this top five this year for me the cultural differences between american and korean and how he's even referred to as being so korean in his thought and he's just so korean and everything he thinks is very korean <laughs> and he is admittedly that yeah and and we have that here it's very different to, you could be very massachusetts and very california and very new york like we have these things within our own country here because we're so spread out that i think if you stop to relate to that. It's that much more exposed when it comes to different countries under different rule in different parts of the world, with certainly different languages. But the, her character really wrestling with, am I American or am I Korean? Am I with this guy? Am I with the right person for me and who am I? I think that was a really understated portion of the story that I appreciated because it stayed in the subtext and they didn't hit you over the head with it.
0: Absolutely. And it's the other part of it that, there's just like so much I love about it, but it, there is that sense of nostalgia and sentiment that is just like it, it permeates the entire film and you get you are absolutely it triggers so many of your own memories and things mm. like just like the awkwardness when they're kids and it, just the way that they like play and, and uh, interact when they're younger. You're just like, oh, that is absolutely what two kids would absolutely say and do with each other. But the part that I'm crazy about, and it's, it's sad because I don't think it will get the amount of recognition it deserves, is when it comes to cinematography and awards, they usually give it to epic films like 1917, something with like broadened scope, like landscape shots, like really epic things. And it's sad because I think this film probably has the most, like just from start to finish, there isn't a bad frame of photography in the entire film. And it's all mm-hmm. mesmerizing. I mean, there are shots where it's just a puddle on the ground and you're just like in, th- like for me, I felt enthralled by it. Yeah. And yeah. And it's just, and the framing of things, there's just such interesting framing to so many different shots where they're like, they're kind of canted, but they're not like things aren't fully frame- framed or weighted one way or another. And yeah, I was just really impressed with that. And I think that that's something that it's pre- like the cinematographer, I, I just need to say, did perfect from start to finish. And the editor as well. I've I've really looked at,
1: specifically this year, more than ever, and I think something the movies did really well this year is apt titling. And this was such a beautiful title to consider past lives, who they were when they were children versus who they are now, but certainly past lives. Are there deeper connections? As I said, it's a spiritual film in its essence. Can we really outrun the people that were meant to be around Maybe not with forever, but the people that are supposed to be in our orbit, can we outrun that? And it's really beautiful to think that we can't, for better or worse, because it just gives some credence to the fact that there's something greater than us out there at work. And I really appreciated the title of this. I honestly thought it was going to go, when I sat down, because I knew nothing about it, into territory of you know, we're going into a past lives and now we're in a a different era and all that. And it's like, oh no, this is just a really straightforward love story that has a lot of depth and a a lot of meaning in a way others don't. I will say two people I have dated, they are both, well, one's married and one's in a very, very long-term relationship. I have sat down and broken bread on multiple occasions and will continue to with their significant other. And that to me is the most beautiful thing I can ever be a part of. It feels so good to be a part of a community and with a a person who's so secure in themselves, even if it hurts, you know, even if it hurts them to just see a connection between that existed and that has evolved into something else. There's something so mature and beautiful about a human being like the two men I'm speaking about, I have the utmost respect for and I always will. And I, I think we should really try and move in a direction where that's accepted and it's yeah. a little bit more acceptable
0: yeah that should definitely be normalized it's interesting especially being single and going on a lot of dates like cuz there are exes that i'm friends with i'm friends with their husbands and very close with and respectful i'm like they are like it absolutely makes sense that they're with the person they're with sure yeah <laughs> um and i love just like seeing their lives unfold and i would never want to do without that and it's interesting how many people are just very like as soon as I got on a date and I mentioned like, yeah, I'm a friends friends with a, a couple exes, and it's just like, nope, can't. Sorry,
1: like yeah. red flag. That's weird. Like, is it? That might yeah. be, but then so am I. Do you want a normal person? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, um it, it's just. I mean, there are. Listen, I've certainly had toxic exes that I have no business talking to anymore, but there are definitely exes that we just were incompatible, but. We meant a lot to each other and will always mean a lot to each other, and that's perfectly okay and human.
1: Yeah, it is. It is great, too, man. Great, too. I love that yeah. pick. We're on to my two, we're getting down to the wire here. This was a pretty easy one for me. I didn't know where to put it, but I knew it was going to be two, three, or four, and it, it made its way to number two. And this is the great David Fincher's The Killer. John, what did you
0: think of The Killer? Another film that I have not seen that I knew. You, oh, I, my. I, I was like, God! That's so funny because I knew it was going to be on your list. And I was like, I, I should probably take time. I was like, but maybe there's a chance it won't be on his list.
1: <laughs> my God, man. Asleep at the Wheel. What have you been watching? All right. Listen, this is another title movie. The first time I watched this, you're thinking of John Woo's The Killer. I know it's not a remake. But I'm thinking, what's David Fincher going to do with Michael Fassbender? This guy is one of the greats. This is just such a beautiful pairing. I can't wait to see. And when I sat down in the theater and I watched this, I left confused. I didn't know what to think of it. I was just, I, I was, uh, that wasn't really what I was expecting. Maybe I shouldn't have expectations. But when you're dealing with somebody who's just nailed it for so long like David Fincher, you have expectations. I watched it a second time, and I'm like, this movie is unbelievable. First of all, the opening title sequence in this movie, you're going to love this. The, the, The Netflix comes up, immediately, musically, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are back doing the score. Musically, and this frenetic, just kind of wave imaging of different ways close up that people kill. And in under 45 seconds, I think, the opening title sequence is done. It's just, it's your shot literally out of a gun into this thing. And then you're just, bam, you're hanging in Paris in a Wii workspace. And it's so fascinating. The first line of the film is, it's amazing how physically exhausting it can be to do nothing. And what we learned very quickly is for 17 minutes, the first 17 minutes, he is just sitting in a room in Paris and then going for a walk down the street to get a sandwich. And he's in an abandoned Wii workspace And the social commentaries about where we are societally, globally, it's not just the U.S. I think this is a very uh, intentional satire on where we are at globally, much like Fight Club was, too. But this is on a 2023 scale. It's very interesting. And he's just talking. It's voiceover narration that he allegedly recorded lying down, just to sound kind of apathetic. And he's on a job waiting for someone to show up that he's to kill. And he has all of these ideologies, the philosophies he has. He tries to bill himself as a stoic rather than a cynic. But it's ironic because there's so much cynicism in everything. Everything. The justification of what he does. He gives it all the metrics of the people that are born every year, die each minute, do all that stuff, and then just says, nothing I've ever done will make any dent in these metrics. It's just a justification of these things. And so we're hanging with this guy and it's like, so wait, we're not going to watch him just killing a ton of people. This is weird. This is kind of weird. He has an iPod and a a work mixtape playlist that he hits and every single playlist that he has, first of all, it's called a mixtape. So we're kind of dealing with this generational gap. That's he's using advantageously. A lot of thing, people think oh, I'm older. I don't understand the way things are now. He's using this advantageously, and it's tongue-in-cheek. He's, it's a mixtape, but it's his playlist. Everything's the Smiths. Every playlist, every song, and he doesn't really call that out. He doesn't mention them by name. He just, he just listens to the Smiths nonstop. And Morrissey is just kind of oh, oh, like these, these vocals that are really moving and deep. Finally, the guy shows up after he's given us all these ideologies and how he's never missed Ted Williams batted 344 career, that'll get him into the hall of fame. I'd be batting a thousand if it wasn't for an Italian mobster that choked on a ham sandwich or something. You know what I mean? Like he's just, you don't miss. This is how you don't miss. I'm going to tell you how the sausage is made. This is the ultimate sausage is made film. He's got this high powered rifle. He's across the way guy comes in. He's with the woman of a lady of the night. Something happens at the last second as he's just telling us that you need to get your blood pressure under 60 just to make sure the vintage glass doesn't alter trajectory. He pulls the trigger. She just makes the slightest move and bam, it's her, not the guy, not the mark. She goes down and we hear him actually speak for the first time. And he just says, fuck. And that's the inciting incident. And the whole time this is happening, how soon is now the ultimate Smith song is playing in his headphones. But what? And this is what was jarring for me in the theater, too, because the sound is so great. You're listening to it, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is the kill song. How soon is now? And when you're looking through the scope, you're hearing it in surround sound. But when you pull back to see him, third person, you're hearing it muffled as though you're standing in the room, and it's just coming out of his headphones from behind you. And it never truly lets you immerse yourself in it. And that's the inciting incident. We're off and running. He missed. I'm going to compare it to a film I loved, but a lot of people didn't like. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. The Irishman is very much Martin Scorsese later in life, reflecting on life. And it's beautifully done. I loved it. I don't care if De Niro looks like a video game character when he kicks somebody on the ground in CGI when they try and de-age him. A lot of people had issues with this stuff don't care it was fantastic love the performances love the movie i compare it to this because and i don't know if david fincher would admit to this or if it's i don't know david fincher came out with a film called mank starring gary oldman in black and white that did very little business it was his last movie prior to this he's just hit banger after banger benjamin button gone girl girl with the dragon tattoo seven the game fight club the social network zodiac Across the board, this guy just wins. And the reason I brought up Mank is because, like the Irishman and Scorsese kind of being involved in that, I felt like Mank might have been his commercial miss, his first one. And now we're on the move and he's scrambling and he's trying to you know, it, it's. We're gonna make this right, we're gonna survive this. we're gonna move along like this this is this is a problem we haven't faced before, but we'll get through it. And we go on this very interesting adventure of killing, and it's very fascinating to see who gets who gets to live and who doesn't. It's very fascinating it says a lot about class, which I think is a huge thing that more movies are starting to really. Point out that all of the things in life are distractions, all these hot button issues, these, these things the talking heads can't shut up about are distractions from the biggest issue at large, which is class. It's a fascinating take on all of this. It's it but it's also fun. It's only it's something only Fincher could do. And I was uncertain of it at first. You get to see, he takes you on a wild ride from Paris to the Dominican, Louisiana. He gets off the plane in Louisiana, the voiceover narrations throughout. And he says, New Orleans, hot, humid, a thousand restaurants, one menu. And it's just hilarious. You're like, yeah, that's Louisiana. And everybody loves that one menu. But yeah, that's a great line. He's got the writer from Seven back with him for this. Um, it's based on a graphic novel. And, and I know he just, they the two of them took it to another level. Without having read the graphic novel, I'd imagine they punched it up to just be even more... Uh, of what it was originally. can't say enough nice things about it. pissed, you haven't seen it. If you have any questions, now's the time to ask.
0: I'm, well, first of all, i you've sold me. I think that the only thing that was dissuading me from seeing it is because I know if it isn't are, out already, I don't think it's out a movie that it's very similar to, which is a from a director we both love, Richard Linkletter has a movie called, coming out called Hitman. And I just did not want to see them so close together. And I feel like if I want to see anyone's take on Hitman, it's Richard Link letters and not David Fincher's. But I'm going to, since you've sold me on it, I will watch it. I was turned off by Mank. Uh, I'm glad to hear that he's back on his game. I do love Fincher. I wasn't crazy about the girl with the dragon tattoo, but it, I mean, it was great. It, it was good. It wasn't just, I just was expecting more based on like the foreign film that had come, the foreign ad- adaptation. I love characters, that are just—he <laughs> sounds like Russ from True Detective or um, Tom Cruise from Collateral, where it's just like Hitman, like just kind of like very deeply like philosophical, like existential almost characters that see the world through that lens, which I always yeah, enjoy.
1: It's fascinating. I will also say, uh, David Fincher has never missed with me, including Alien Three. I haven't seen Mank. And the only time I've just been really underwhelmed is the girl with the dragon tattoo. So I'm with you there. That just, it wasn't for me. I think I had larger expectations and ended up preferring the original, the foreign film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's back. He's back. Yeah. He's, he, he never lost it. I think he was just out there doing what he wanted to do. And, and he gets to. He's David Fincher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. And he is, man, that man is a genius. It's just, yeah.
0: Brilliance. Okay. i Watch, watch it. it. I will. Yeah, you should I be. I will. Okay. All right. It's getting aggressive here. You, hey, you moment of stop, truth for you. You should stop watching films about killers. <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> I think you become aggressive. All right. We're down to number one.
1: Moment of truth.
0: Number one. I can't wait for us to talk about this. I know you haven't seen it. I guarantee you haven't seen it. I'm going <sighs> to be so upset that you haven't seen it. And it's a film that I love. It's a film that is just epic and human and timely and just uh, touches on so many different genres. It is Gareth Edwards, the creator. Have you seen it?
1: This was um, with Dungeons and Dragons and Across the Spider-Verse, the third of the movies that I was like, "Ah, I know he's going to have this. And I didn't see it.
0: Well, you should have seen it. (laughs) I should have.
1: I should have known, but I didn't.
0: Yeah. So uh, the creator is, uh, the premise of the film is, it takes place in uh, the future where um, there are, Artificial intelligence has basically become a faction of itself, and there was a possibly violent act that they are responsible for that has divided humans from uh, robots and AI. So there's a war going on for people hunting these AI beings and the one person who created all these AI beings. And so it's just like an ongoing war. And Tenzo Washington's son is so good. (laughs) Like,
1: First of all, you Lo- saw, loved him in Black Klansman. Loved been, him in Black clansman.
0: He's, he's phenomenal in Black clansman. He's phenomenal in this. Um, yeah, it's just a really solid movie. The, so Gareth Edwards, for those of you who are not familiar, he's done. He did Monsters, which I, I somehow ended up picking up and watching without anyone telling me to. And it just blew my mind. Such a beautiful film. No one does sci-fi like this, man. After that, he did. Godzilla, then he did uh, Rogue One, which Rogue One is by far, I think, my favorite Star Wars. Did he do Rogue One?
1: Yeah. I think for my money, it's the only watchable one that, and, and not just watchable, I adored it from the outside of the original three.
0: Yeah man has a background in special effects like he worked on the like a, like visual effects on a bunch of films that's when he went out and did his own film the monsters and he, he and he did all of the visual effects himself so they are seamless in monsters are worth time it's been a little while and this film delivers on the same level but there is no distinction between special effects and reality like i feel like he brought me into a world where i could feel touch and smell like everything that was around me. And for you to bring me to such a like sci-fi based environment and have me feel that way is really just uh, a spectacular act and feat in and of itself. And it's an epic story. There's a lot going on. There's a kid in it who is so good. She's a a fantastic actress. Um, John David Washington is sent to uh, destroy a weapon that is created by, by AI, ends up being this kid. And, he is, has a moral quandary about where he is at that point in time because this kid has information that he wants, so he can't destroy it right away. Um, and that leads to many other things. But it reminded me of just like when I was a kid and I had no problem stepping into those crazy worlds that I watched, whether it was Star Wars, Monster Squad, The Goonies. Like, you just could easily just, oh, that's reality. That's an easy thing. <laughs> like, that could happen tomorrow. And I really just enjoyed being reminded of that one of the things I love is if you can bring me to a world that is unlike anything I've ever experienced and make me feel human emotions on a very deep level that that's like the kind of storytelling that I love so you got to watch it it's fantastic
1: well I will watch the creator I will give it a go damn number one wow I was really hoping I knew better I knew better but I was like if there's a world in which we have the same number one wow but we don't uh, moment of Truth, my number one film. And this is unimpeachable. I never wavered for a second. This is the only perfect film I've seen this year. Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest.
0: I have not seen it. And um, that's a, that one, that and poor Things, I'm the most ashamed of. Those were the two films that I really wanted to get to before making this list. This movie, first of all, Jonathan
1: Glazer started in the early to mid-90s as a music video director and continued on that trajectory. And along the way since 2000, has made four feature films. That's it. They're all 10 out of 10, in my opinion. They're just, I will go and see Jonathan Glazer at any point, anything he does. He started with Sexy Beast in 2000. And I think it was 07, he did Birth with Nicole Kidman. In 2014, maybe, 13, 13, I think he did Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. These movies are just well worth your time artistically. Uh, I'm sure we'll do at least one of them on this podcast. But The Zone of Interest, I, I think it took him about a decade to make. This is another, uh, I'm kind of bookending my my five and my one. It's another World War II picture that couldn't be more different from Sisu. This is unbelievable. And it stars Christian Friedel and Sandra Hewler so she's doubling down on two of my top five this year right she is having a hell of a run in 23 and they play Rudolf and hedwig hoss this was a very high ranking nazi official in world war ii and his wife they live in auschwitz the first three minutes of the film is a black screen with the most haunting kind of undertone music playing. It's very uncomfortable. Again, we're at an uncomfortable watch. We're just listening to this music, feeling it. At home or in a theater, you feel it. And then there's this kind of light, light-hearted tune that starts to play over it, but it's slowed down, so it is in itself kind of haunting. And then they layer some bird chirping in. And I believe I hear at the end, like, just like off in the distance, gunshots, nothing that pronounced. And when we open, we actually see this beautiful, not sunny, it's kind of a, a dark day, cloudy, but it's beautiful countryside lake with this family in swim trunks. And they're hanging out and they're just having a picnic. And eventually the girls go and forage for berries with mom and the boys are rough housing and kind of throwing each other around and getting a little like pissed about it in the water. And then they leave and there's a fight in the car on the way home. Beautiful car shot um, with the kids fighting with each other. And they go home to their house, which is abutting the main concentration camp in Auschwitz. It's the most affecting film I've seen in a very long time. Um, (laughs) We never go in the concentration camp. We never need to. Right. This isn't a movie about how horrible the Germans are. This is a warning about what we can all become in the wrong circumstances. I won't say that this film is intended to give the Nazis empathy. I will say it is intended to give them humanity and to make us really look at the fact And something that I've always believed in, that each and every one of us are in the right circumstances, capable of the most generous, humane act the world has ever known. And in the wrong circumstances, the most awful, monstrous act the world has ever known. I think that's what it means to be human. And this really takes a look at life through that lens. And everything is just, again, we're back in these foreign film wide shots, where we're looking at this beautiful property and Sandra Hughes, uh, Hewler's character is really just proudly showing her mother all of what she's accomplished and what she's done. And they're, they're getting things shipped into them from houses of Jewish people that they've pillaged every, they have a, a Jewish housemaid that she's pretty cruel too, but not again, we're in a wide shot for this. It's not this like in your face tight, her being mean. It's just, she's very, very cruel from afar and she's very entitled a lot of the entitlement that goes along with this stuff uh, is really beautifully under the microscope of people in general they've come become accustomed to a lifestyle there are certain lines that make you think that at one point the people that they're pillaging from and the people that are in the concentration camps were far more affluent than them they themselves and now well now this is we're entitled to this now it's our turn this is our life and ultimately rudolph gets uh, he's done such a good job with auschwitz that they're sending they're transferring him and Hed- hedvig refuses to go no make it a part of your stipulation that we stay And in true Glazer fashion, he does this wild thing where throughout, and you don't really know what's happening, he intercuts, not often, but a few times, with this heat thermal imaging camera um, where it's just black. It's not Predator because it's not color, but it's if Predator only saw black and white kind of thing. Mm. And once in a while, we'll cut to this, and it's a young Polish girl who is working for um, the underground federation all these the 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 people that are doing the resistance i guess and she's putting her life in her hands to quietly go around and place food little fruit pieces of fruit and things where the polish will be working the the jewish people will be working the following day just to give them food and that's based on a character that um or the person who actually existed that didn't died not that long ago, who survived the Holocaust, but um, she actually told that story. And this movie by, by its end is just so haunting. And again, there's nothing on earth like it. I have no interest by and large to go and see a world war II film, even though my top five would (laughs) state otherwise, but you will never see anything like this and it's one of the most important films i think you could ever see just to take a look at where we're coming from in an effort to try and stay away from where we're going
0: just as you're describing that that's just like a ha- like just the concept of that is haunting alone and hearing about that and i thought you did a beautiful job of of presenting it i'm i'm terrified of watching it there's definitely a part of me that's terrified of watching it and i think anatomy of a fall very similarly just Holding a mirror up to reality and seeing like what we are and are not capable of is just very, it's a hard thing to sit with and a hard pill to swallow. And that's my
1: interest. I don't want to watch a biopic. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't need my, I, I want to watch. I want to see and feel and hear stories about what we are capable of at our core, both good, bad, and otherwise. Yeah. Because there's no, I'm not a believer in that's a bad person or that's a good person. It's, that's a, that's a person. And what did they choose to do? I mean, the nature of storytelling, inciting incidents are, if you show us a bad guy having a bad day, being a bad person, the inciting incident needs to be something good that happens to change everything and vice versa. So it's that's what I want to feel and be a part of. And this this movie really, it's not a straight line narration, but it really is just kind of a bird's eye view of of all this. And the ending makes it very worthwhile. Can't wait to watch it yeah now we're gonna do a quick six through ten like like 30 seconds on each say let's let's just do it and, and rock on what was your number six
0: number six barbie loved it loved it enjoyed it i think it's so hard again to do adaptations especially something when it's like you're working with a mattel toy um that has a lot of cultural relevance in one way or another And I was on board as soon as I heard Greta Gerwig was doing it because I adore Greta Gerwig, and it's just the practicality of the film effects, but also the storytelling in a way that how you make an adaptation for people who both like hate adaptations or like hate Barbie or love Barbie is I just think is a a brilliant accomplishment in and of itself. And Kate McKinnon as Weird Barbie, one of the best, uh, one of the joy things, joyful things to watch in it. Didn't know her and Greta Gerwig were roommates in college. And I think, mark my words, Kate McKinnon's going to be one of the best dramatic actors as soon as somebody gives her an actual script to work with. All right, you heard it here first. I loved it and my favorite thing about it,
1: and that's not to besmirch the film because I really did enjoy it. um, I've never in my life, I don't think, seen a return to or just kind of the droves of people it brought to the cinema, and everybody wearing pink. I stopped at Goodwill and got a pink sweatshirt and a pink hat on my way to see the movie, and I had a I blast. Love, I good stuff. <laughs> my number six was May December.
0: Ooh, okay. And
1: um, Tell us. I, I just love Todd Haynes. I love him, and and to be honest, I think the only thing I've ever seen him do is Far From Heaven, and it's so good. And I just really appreciated his style so much and his use of Julian Moore, which definitely um, parlayed right into this. Julian Moore and Natalie Portman do such an amazing job in this film. I think the male actor got his... He's, he's been getting a lot of love, and that's great. Um, forgive me, I don't even know his name, but he, it was a wonderful job. But these two, especially Natalie Portman, it's based on the Mary Kay Letourneau story, okay. but it's loosely based. Again, we're talking about things like like the Hosses in Nazi Germany. It's loosely based on this. They're not they're not worried about sticking to the thing. They're just telling a story that's like inspired by this, and it goes in some really great directions. It's a it's a really difficult but powerful watch, and I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I love Julianne Moore and and Natalie Portman. I can't think of two better actresses to be working together. So I'm very excited about it. To win. Yeah. Seven. What do you got? Number seven, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which I think, okay. <laughs> for my money, is the best Mission Impossible film. There like, Actually, Rogue Nation will always be number one. But like, to be the number seven installment in a series and be as creative as it is and energetic and just fun and have all the plot twists that they have and the tension phenomenal love Chris McQuarrie love the stunts and the fact that I found out they shoot those movies without a script did you know that
1: no no I did not know. What does that mean without Chris, a script?
0: Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise come up with set pieces, so they know the big action sequences. And then Chris McQuarrie, almost up to the day of shooting, will will be tweaking pages to make pieces connect and then give them to the actors that day. And It they, works. Yeah, it really it works. works. And I, I don't know how.
1: <laughs> Love the entire franchise. It's my favorite franchise, I think. I was under the... Um, misunderstanding that regal 4dx was their version of amc's imax and so i booked tickets to go and see that and it's basically a four banger on a hydraulic roller coaster ride that was just throwing me all over the map i was with my friend taylor and shit was flying out of her purse all over the place during the movie every time a car crash is coming you're extra tense because you know you're going to be in the car crash too tons of fun
0: uh they keep making them i'll keep watching them
1: (laughs) and they will this summer right that's part two or next
0: uh i think it's next
1: Okay. My number seven, Talk to Me. Talk to Me is unbelievable. This is um, directed by these two brothers, the Philippos, Danny and Michael Philippo. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it. They're YouTube guys. They make a lot of YouTube content high end YouTube stuff. This is their first film. I think they're Australian. The film is Australian, and it's out of this world creepy. My skin was crawling. I think it's the best horror movie of the year yeah and, uh, it it's it's affecting and a lot of fun,
0: yeah, it's my number ten um so we can spend a, a minute on it real quick, but I think that going back to what I was that feeling I was explaining again the things that I fell in love with the film. During Anatomy of a Fall was I, watching Talk to Me, I had no idea what was going to happen next. It was making me squirm. It was unpredictable, which is exactly what you want a horror movie to be. Like, you do not, you do not want to be able to anticipate where it's going next. I love the way that they ended it. I thought it was perfect. They did exactly what they should have done the acting stellar. And there's that sequence where they're, I think you're going to know the montage sequence where they're going like back and forth at a party and there's Mm the music playing and it's edited to perfection. And it's like, it's, it's both terrifying and fun to watch. And I don't know how you do both.
1: Yeah. They took a page out of Ari Aster's Midsommar for their opening where it's just kind of like, Oh, you're in it. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, what's going on? Oh my God. And it's just, you're off to the races. And and that's the way a horror film should be made. Yeah. Very well done.
0: Yeah, it's going to stick with me. I'm definitely going to be thinking about it. I feel like the last movie that kind of left, not as, the, the other one's The Gift, and The Gift will be haunting me until the end of my life. But this is had a very similar effect where it, it stuck with me for days and I could not get it out of my head. Joel Edgerton's The Gift. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, what do you got for eight? Number eight, The Holdovers. Okay, yeah. Which I love. I'm not, I, I do enjoy Payne's films. I'm not a huge uh, fan of his, but I thought this was really great. It, it, there was a sense of nostalgia. I really felt like I was, I felt like I dusted off a VHS movie from the 1970s and was watching it. And I thought that, and it's just like the acting, the pacing, the way it was filmed. It just, it had so many of the, even like the cynicism of the 1970s. Um like cinema that I really enjoyed. And yeah. And just enough, just enough, just enough charm and hope to, to, to make it all the medicine go down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It wasn't one of my favorites of the year, but I really enjoyed it. I felt like this was very much Dutch. If Ed Ed O'Neill had not shown up to pick him up from school And it it, it was just kind of like, all right, uh, Giamatti can do no wrong. I love watching Giamatti do Giamatti. And there were some really great moments of 70s uh, culture, I I think. I really did enjoy that part of it. And I really loved certain lines. Like, for me, I was in love with set pieces and scenes more than I was the the whole overarching film. I'm glad that was on your list because I did want to mention it. My eight was Oppenheimer. (laughs) It was Oppenheimer. It's... Listen, Christopher Nolan deserves to have Oppenheimer on people's top 10 list. He put so much work into this. This The, the IMAX experience of this on 70mm was otherworldly. And this is from a guy who doesn't like biopics. I could have done without the love story. I really appreciated what he was able to do with a camera, with... with one of the greatest living actors right now killian murphy's out of this world and with a really strong supporting cast i thought it was a a really worthwhile project for him to tackle you could tell he was passionate about it and i think much to my chagrin about biopics i think christopher nolan's brain is so expansive and he has so few people keeping him in check That having to work within the framework of someone's life is actually a boundary that helped him and was advantageous in this. And I I enjoyed the experience. I don't know that I'll watch it again. I don't know how you could watch this not on a big screen, but I really enjoyed it.
0: I told you that I have a lot to say about this film, and now I will. I thought it was a great montage. It's the longest montage I've ever seen. I don't think there is a scene that has more than three or four lines of dialogue before it either flashes forward or back in the story, like an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. <laughs> but the acting's phenomenal, and I love. Listen, I I I, I say I'm very critical. I love Christopher Nolan. I'm very critical of his films because I know that Christopher Nolan is an extremely gifted just brilliant filmmaker. And I love the energy with which he makes movies. And I loved watching Oppenheimer, despite whatever I might say now, but yeah, like I just, the story was barely comprehensible. If it was not, I always judge biopics or historical pictures through the lens of okay, if if I knew nothing about this, if I this was if this wasn't a piece of history, if this was just a story that I'm seeing on a screen, does it work? And it doesn't. Like I just don't think it does without the history of it. There's a part of me that really was hoping towards the end that he would pull a page out of Quentin Tarantino's book and it would either the bomb <laughs> the bomb would not go off or it would ignite the atmosphere and destroy the world. And I was like, real. I was like, please, just give me that. But the, the, the acting is amazing. I agree with you. Killian Murphy is phenomenal. Actually, like the, the cast, it's, it's, first of all, there's so many people in it. I can't think of a more impressive cast Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, David Crumholtz, who we're going to get to in a minute, Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Gary Oldman, Matthew Modine, Ke- Kenneth Branagh, Remy Malik, Olivia, Olivia Thurlby, Benny Safdie, Ke- Casey Affleck, Jason Clark, Tony Goldman, Jack Quaid, and more. And I was like, was, there's was, like so many people had parts in this movie that I was not the least bit surprised when Kara Top and Jimmy Stewart showed up. And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. like they should be in this movie. Like, of course, there's just a lot of people in the damn movie. And the, the part that I was impressed with is that someone finally realized Josh Hartnett could act. Oh, and... I love Hartnett. Come on. Lucky number 11. Yeah, but like I feel like no one's given him like an actual like role that's deserving of him. He's a phenomenal actor. I'm glad that somebody did. Yeah, and is. also, David Krumholtz was the thing that I really enjoyed watching. And I can't think of somebody who has a better career. Um, and it's funny because I'm mentioning that name, and the eight or four people who are still listening to this have no idea who that is. If you saw his face, you would, because he's been in everything. I think he has more credits than Stephen Toblowski. That's actually not true. I looked it up. Stephen Toblowski has like 250 films just credit. <laughs> But David, uh, he's been in like 140 films. Or that's yeah, yeah. how many credits he has on, on IMDb. And I just, I think that he is so deserving of an Oscar. And I'm finally glad that he is in a movie. This is probably the highest profile film he's ever been in, right?
1: Highest profile film, sure. It's not the the biggest role, certainly, but it's the highest profile film. Right, like the
0: one that's like, I mean, that people would recognize him from probably the most at this point. Um, Because he's always like a side character, always does something interesting, always great to watch, brilliant actor. Um, and I'm, people are certain that it's going to win the best, Academy, best picture at the Academy Awards. And I'm certain it's going to, if for no other reason than then half the Academy has walk-on roles in the movie, like, right. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will step off my soapbox now. No, you had a strong
1: reaction. This is, uh, so the, the person I was talking to about poor things last night that had the visceral reaction to it. So like, this is what art is supposed to do. It's what it's supposed to do. You had a visceral reaction to a thing. When The Box came out and it was the most hated movie of 2009, I didn't think like, oh, my God, I'm in the movie that has the most hated. It's like, no, this is great news. People aren't indifferent about it. They hate this movie. So I think it's a good thing that you had a reaction like that towards it. What's your number nine?
0: Uh, My number nine is Bottoms, which if you haven't seen. I have. So have. You know, so that, was, that was that was
1: it was it was a, a close race for my 10th spot. OK, um, it didn't end up getting it, but I really appreciated it.
0: Yeah, I felt like it was I've not seen anything like it, it definitely had. It's funny you mentioned Quentin Tarantino when you were talking earlier and I felt like like the level of violence <laughs> in Bottom sometimes reaches Quentin Tarantino levels. And yeah, like, I don't know, it feels like it's a parody or a farce, but it also feels like a traditional high school movie. So it's somehow somewhere in between and also something entirely different and original.
1: Yeah, I thought it was lesbian super bad. And I really dug it. I was kind of like, this is this is what it should be. Because again, kind of like core things, we usually get these hero's journey tales with men. Yeah. And I want to see what it looks like through another lens, because that's an interesting story to tell. Don't remake something. Don't remake Benjamin Button with a woman. You know, that was a a story that was already told and it was told from a man's perspective, but do your version of that because there's stuff to talk about there. And bottoms did that. I will say, I went into it knowing that there was homosexual themes behind it. Right. just in, in a form and assumed it was male because it's called bottoms. And, I was prepared to laugh heavily at a a Bottoms-based comedy, and I'm like, what the hell do they call this Bottoms for? We're talking about titles all year. Like, I would just
0: think that would be a gay man's perspective. Why Bottoms? I mean, I think there's there's definitely a theme there with the the jocks in the games. <laughs> like, but they're, so they're cool.
1: not the they're not the, the main characters, but, right?
0: But then there's also like the Fight Club element and like people being on the but bo- like I feel like there's there's a fun play on words there. So they're trying Se- to do sexually, a tongue in cheek,
1: yeah. That doesn't quite work because yeah, all right, that's it what I was afraid of.
0: It, it worked for me. <laughs>
1: all right i wanted a better title but i really enjoyed the movie yeah my number nine we've talked about it's past lives i think it was fantastic i really enjoyed it um and it, it made me think and kind of broke me out of my um my childish romanticism as being fairy tale-esque loved it so we can and we did your 10 right
0: yeah talk to me it was my number 10 so what's yours <laughs>
1: My number 10, I'm glad we did your 10 because it's just important to get to what's probably the best film on any list so far this year. That is my number 10 film of 2023, Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> ah,
1: this, is, this is either easily, in my view, Eli Roth's best film. It is so much fun. If you're listening from Massachusetts, man, they do some weird references to places that don't exist but that do like East Hanover. And they they're talking all this shit about Massachusetts and making fun of the accents and the horror, the horror is just ridiculous and fun. Weird cameos, weird non-cameos that people are actually in this. It's you can see where a lot of this is going. A lot of the times, it's no talk to me but it's not intending to be. And this was originally a a faux trailer from the grindhouse combination of planet terror from Robert Rodriguez and death proof from Quentin Tarantino. When they were released together theatrically as one grindhouse experience, double feature in AMCs. This is something that was just never done. Um, They did three faux trailers in the middle. One was machete, which then became its own picture. These were just trailers that were made to be jokes the other was Don't, and I forget who directed Don't. If you can, if you can pull it up or think of it, let me know. But um, oh, you know who I think it might have been? Who who Wait. did um, Last Night in Soho? Edgar Wright. I think Dope might be Edgar Wright, but I'm not certain. And then the third and final was Thanksgiving, and they decided it's time to finally make Thanksgiving, so they did, and it was a barrel of fun. But yeah, man, this is it. This is it. I'll just go blast through it one last time. People still listening. Zone of interest, top of my mountain. The killer, number two, poor things, three, four, anatomy of a fall. Five was Sisu. Six, May, December. Seven, talk to me. Eight, Oppenheimer. Nine, past lives. And ten, Thanksgiving.
0: And as for mine, number one, the creator. Number two, past lives. Three, anatomy of a fall. Four, Spider-Man across the spider Verse. Five, Dungeons and Dragons. Six, Barbie. Seven, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Eight, the holdover is nine bottoms, ten talked me, and an honorable mention to Scream Six. Or, yeah,
1: Scream Six. How oh, dare you? I, I uh, had to. Throw, I had you to already throw did it. my honorable mention with bottoms, so we're good there. <laughs> Guys, if you hang out, if you hung out through this, thank you. Welcome to our podcast. It's going to be a blast. This isn't yeah. going to be what we do. We're going to be a lot more focused on one film per episode, and we're looking forward to having you. So, thanks again for being here, John. Thank you for helping make this possible.
0: Thank you. I'm just excited to be here. I think this is a perfect way to kick things off and show who we are and how we do it. And then we'll get into the real fun stuff from here on out.
1: Right on my man. Much love to everybody out there. Thanks again. See you next week.